Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people that know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed the following message. One, if I'm going to follow only one, which is the one that I'm going to follow? And then notice how Jesus responds in verse 37. It's really interesting what Jesus says. He says this. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Jesus defines that for us. He says, this is the first and it is the greatest commandment. In other words, above everything else, Jesus is saying the greatest of all of it is that you would love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And so that's my first point for you this morning. Our purpose is nourished as we grow in our love for God. Our purpose is it, it, it's nourished as we grow in our love for God. Now, unfortunately, the idea of love has kind of been uh, lost in its depth. You, know, you and I, we'd say, well, I love sports, or I love Mexican food, or I love the Beatles. Some of you might even be brave enough to say that you love the Cowboys. <laughs> you know, my brother-in-law is in that boat. Every time the football season gets going, I get a text message and says, this is the year. This is the year we're going to make the run, and we're going we're to win the Super Bowl. And every year, about five games in, he's disappointed. Talk about unmet expectations. Or we talk about things that we love all the time. I love this person, I love that person. But, but if we're truly honest, we say that we love things that we have an affinity for. These are good things in our lives. But what Jesus is calling us into is something far greater, far more meaningful, with a whole lot more depth. He said we're to love him with all of our heart. That means we're to love him with our emotions, our affections. One author said that we are to fix our affections supremely on him over everything else. That means he takes priority in our affections and in our emotions. And emotions can be tricky, can't they? And yet even those are supposed to be submitted to him. And he takes priority over those. Jesus says that we're to love him with all of our minds is we're to love him with our intellect, with our thinking. That means to allow him to dominate our thinking, what happens between the ears, so to speak. There's not a lot that happens between my ears, but even still, I'm supposed to allow God to dominate my thinking. Jesus says we're to love him with all of our soul. You know, the soul is the core of who we are. Some might say that it's our identity. Jesus is calling us to here. He says, listen, you're to love me with the very person, the very core of your being. That means who you are is not dictated by culture or what somebody says of you or even what you believe of yourself, but rather your identity is dictated by me. We're to love him with all that we are and all that we have Great theologian, R.T. France, this is what he says of this. He says, one is to love God with all that one is and all that one has. 
That means he is preeminent. He is priority in all that we have, all that we are, all of our resources, our time, our energy, our efforts, our affections, our emotions. The core of who we are, God, is to be priority in all of them. He's to be preeminent. Jesus says to do this is the foundation of the law. In fact, Jesus is going to say that all of the law builds on our love for God. And this is a great thing because it changes everything. I want you to think about it this way. It's a complete paradigm shift, not only for us, but also for the folks who would be hearing this message uh, in Jesus's day as well. It's a complete paradigm shift. See, for obedience to the law, for obedience to the law is produced by my love for him. If that's the case, then that leads me to nothing more than legalism. It doesn't lead me to love or affection for him. But rather, my love for him, my love for him ought to be a demonstration of my obedience. But the truth of the matter is, is that my love for him ought to lead me to that obedience. The difference being is it's it's a relationship. If I just do the things that I'm supposed to do, well, sure, that's that's a good thing. If I follow the law, it's a good thing to follow the law. But if my following of the law, my obedience to the law is not rooted in my love for him, what ends up happening is I I become puffed up, arrogant, conceited, maybe place unmet expectations or expectations on others that, that they don't need to have. And ultimately I become what Jesus would call a legalist. Now on the other end, right, if, if, if my obedience to God is rooted in my love for him, what happens is, is I'm able to receive God's grace when I fail and I'm able to re- extend God's grace when others fail. It's a total difference in thinking. It'd be, it'd be like me and coming home with the kiddos and, and I walk in the door and things are crazy, which is, well, it's pretty normal when you have toddlers. You know, and so I walk in and I say, all right, listen, here's the law. Here's how it's gonna be in our house. This is what we're gonna do. This is what we're not gonna do. Not that that's a bad thing. That's oftentimes a pretty good thing, right? But there's a difference if I come in and lay down the law, but there's a a greater big difference if I come into the home and I've built a love relationship with my kiddos and I say, hey, listen, guys, I love you. And because I love you, here's the playground that I want you to live in. And in this playground, life's gonna be safe. Things are gonna go really, really well. If you just abide in this playground, things are gonna go really, really well for you. If you step out of that playground, guess what? Probably not gonna go so well for you. The difference is in the relationship. The love relationship that we have with God ought to be the foundation of all that we say and do. And that is, and our obedience to him is predicated on the truth that we love God. Not because we loved him first, but because he loved us first. You know, it's interesting that when it comes to olive trees, y'all know, have you ever seen a picture of an olive tree? I've got a picture for you. Could y'all put that picture up for me? There it is. That's an olive tree. That's pretty gnarly looking, isn't it? It's kind of windy, just uh, kind of bare looking. Do you know those things can live up to 1,800 years old? 
Somebody said yes up there. I heard you. 1,800 years those olive trees can live. Did you know that they can produce olives for up to a century? That's 100 years old. Olive trees. And while they look really pretty gnarly up on top, the truth of the matter is, is that uh, what's actually uh, you see on top is, is, is just a demonstration of really what's actually happening on, on, under the surface. See, olive trees live 1800, can live up to 1800 years old, but the, the kind of crazy thing about it is, is that while they live in these climates where most plants and, and most, uh, most things die, they actually thrive. And again, not only do they thrive, but they produce fruit for up to 100 years Now, here's what's kind of cool. So under the surface, what you can't see, you can see this big old tree, but what you can't see is how deep the roots have grown. See, the the deeper that the roots grow in a vertical relationship, so to speak, the more that you see above the surface. So I think it's fair to say that the way that they thrive above the surface is actually predicated on what's happening under the surface. As the roots grow deep, They're nourished, they experience the nutrients and the water that they need all so that they can thrive above the surface. And in the same way, we ought to be like olive trees. See, when our nourishment is built on the love for God, love for his word, beneath the surface, at the heart level, so to speak, and as our roots grow deep in him, you and I ought to be able to live above the surface. We ought to be able to thrive. We ought to be able to produce good and uh, we ought to be able to bear fruit for the lengths of our lives. As Christians, we ought to be able to live in any and all circumstances that when many other folks can't handle and bear the weight of this world, which is totally understandable because of who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus, And as we grow deep in our roots, deep in the nourishment of what he offers us in his word, you and I thrive above the surface. We're able to produce fruit. And you may be thinking, well, well, what fruit is that that you speak of? Well, Paul does a great job. He he identifies the fruit that you and I ought to experience. He says in chapter 5 in Galatians, verse 22, he says that the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. It's goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For you and me, as our roots grow deep in God, no matter what, ex- no matter what we experience above the surface, we ought to thrive. We ought to be producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We ought to be an encouragement to others. We ought to be able to thrive when others can't. And so again, as we grow in our vertical relationship with God, we're able to thrive in any and all circumstances, and yet at the same time, we produce godly fruit towards others. The stronger our root system, the greater the growth is above the surface. So that's point number one. Sadly, however, because it sounds really good, doesn't it? We ought to be able to thrive. We ought to be able to grow. We ought to be able to withstand the things that life throws at us. But sadly, we do have a problem. We have a problem. You know, maybe we can, you can relate to this. Now, I grew up singing the famous hymn, Come Thou Fount. Y'all remember that song? It's a good one. Oldie but a goodie. 
You know, there's a line in that song that goes something like this. You can probably say it with me. Actually, let's do that. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. See, while you and I ought to be able to thrive, while you and I ought to be able to thrive in any and all circumstances above the surface, sometimes we fail to do that. And we fail to do that because you and I are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. And so point number two this morning, what you need to know is that we need to be able to recognize our tendency and our natural tendency is that we are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. You know, research shows that we are the most distracted generation the world has seen. Television, social media, it's just general busyness, right? Anytime I ask somebody these days, hey, how's it going? Here's what I get, I'm just busy. We're so busy. We're so distracted. We've got so many things going on, and as a result, our minds are distracted. Our affections oftentimes are misplaced. Souls are confused, and our strength is atrophied. It's atrophied. So again, instead of, instead of thriving, we kind of wither under the weight of our circumstances. Instead of producing fruit, so often our fruit is left rotting on the vine. You know, in Matthew 22, Jesus is actually just repeating what God has already said in Deuteronomy, specifically in Deuteronomy chapter 6. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is getting the people of God ready to enter the land. And so it's a series of sermons that, that uh, Moses is delivering to the people of God, getting them ready to, to, to literally step into the promised land, the very thing that they had hoped for and they've longed for. They're getting ready to step into the land. And so Moses is getting them ready. And, and I want you to see what... What Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10, here's the warning that he gives as they step into the land. It'll be up on the screen. Verse 10, it says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give, with you, to, give to you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, And when you eat and you are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord. Lest you forget the Lord. See, there's a great temptation in God's blessing to us for us to forget the one who has blessed us in the first place. God is warning Israel that when they get into the land and they experience what God has promised to their fathers, there's going to be a great temptation that as soon as they get comfortable... As soon as they relax, they will wander. They will wander away from him. And the reason being, the reason why this happens is really twofold. Number one, it's because we forget God's word. We forget his promises to us. The second thing is, is we forget God's faithfulness in us. We forget the faithfulness of God in our lives. And the good, good news is, is that this is really nothing new. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament, God warns Israel over 29 times, 29 times in the Old Testament where he reminds the people of Israel to not forget him. 
In the New Testament, as you turn into the New Testament, God reminds the church over 18 times, do not forget me. Do not forget me. I'm sure there's probably more than that, but that's all I could find this week. Uh, So there's a ton of times where God pleads for us to not forget him. As a matter of fact, in the book of Exodus, God tells them to remember that they were once slaves and now that they are free, now they're free. In the book of Numbers, God tells them to remember and obey his commandments. Out of the 29 times that God warns Israel in the Old Testament, 16 of those come from Deuteronomy. Again, as God is preparing them to step into the land, to experience his blessing. Right? He tells them, he says, hey, don't forget who you are and where you've come from. Don't forget what I have done for you, how I have provided for you, how I've sustained you, how I've kept you alive in the wilderness years. Don't forget you know, as we turn to Joshua, talking about unmet expectations, right? They've got this expectation that they're going to walk into the land and they're going to conquer everything. And what do they find? There's people in the land. God says, hey, don't forget that I'm with you, even in unmet expectations, right? In the book of Nehemiah, the people are reminded that despite all odds, God brought them together, reestablishes a covenant with them. Don't forget about my covenant, In Psalms, I love the Psalms, David consistently repeats and reminds himself of God's faithfulness and his goodness to him. Don't forget, David preaches to himself. As we turn to Isaiah and Jeremiah, they both lament the fact that the people have indeed forgotten the Lord. Repeatedly, over and over and over again, history reminds us that our temptation is not to run to him, but to run away from him, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. But the good news here is that there's a solution for you and for me. As a matter of fact, you're gonna see that here in a minute in Deuteronomy chapter six, but there's a two-fold solution. The first one is that we need complete saturation. What you and I need is to be saturated in the love of God. To be saturated means to be thoroughly soaked by something to the point that no more can be absorbed. You may think of a sponge in the bucket of, of, of a water, uh, in a bucket of water. You know, uh, back before there were these quick car washes. Y'all remember the days before quick car washes? You know, I've got one of those tags on my truck where I can like pull in and I just run through it. It washes it. It's, it's really an amazing thing. I love it. So if you're looking for a gift, there it is. Um, it's running out here at the end of the year. Just, just saying, no, not asking for that. Just, just saying, but, but it's a really great thing. I love it very, very much. But before those days, I remember when I first, I got my first vehicle, my first truck, it just turned 16. I took great pride in that truck. It was a 94 Chevy and I just loved it. Who cares if it was maroon interior? It was awesome because it was mine, right? It was great. And so I, every week I would take it to one of those, those car washes, kind of like that one on Lake right across the street from, from Belton High School. And man, I would wash that thing down. I'd get my bucket. I'd get, a, I'd get a, a, a sponge. I'd have a chamois, which who even knows what a chamois is anymore, right? And so man, I would, I would stick that sponge down in there, you know, and I'd spray the car down. I'd scrub all the bugs and the guts. And I, and, and I was like, I, I, okay, it's fine. I, I'll admit to you. I would do a little mudding, and so I'd have to, you know, I'd have to scrape all the mud off of my truck, all of those things. But as soon as the sponge was empty, I would dip it back in that water, and then I'd pull it back out, and then I would squeeze it onto the truck. And that's kind of the point here. When we're talking about complete saturation, 
We need to be like sponges. Not only do we need to be like an olive tree, but we need to be like sponges to the point where, where we're so soaked in God's word that when the sponge comes up out of the water and it's squeezed, what happens is, it, is that the love of God just pours from our soul, pours from our sores. It, it, it ought to pour out of, pour out of us. The love of God nourishes our soul, it nourishes our roots, and when, we, when, we, when we, we seek to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, it just pours right out of our pores. It becomes who we are as the people of God. And thankfully, Moses gives us some direction as to how we do that. In Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, Moses says this, he says, hear, O Israel. He says, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He says, you shall love the, Lord with all, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words I've commanded you today, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. He says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Again, what Moses has in mind here is that we are to fully saturate ourselves in God's word and in his promises, but not that we should just saturate ourselves, but we're also to master it as well, to master his word, to be a master of his promises. Now, real quick, how many of you are educators? Let me see your hands. Educators of some kind, you're an educator. Awesome, we got a lot, of, a lot of educators. How many of you have ever heard of a thing called Bloom's Taxonomy? Oh yeah, we're about to get deep. All right, Bloom's Taxonomy, pull that thing up there. Oh yes, this is beautiful, okay. So I have never heard of this, never seen this until a couple of years ago and it's changed my life. I'll never look back. All right, so Bloom's Taxonomy is a way in which you know whether or not somebody is, is mastering the material, whether they're learning it, whether they're engaging with the material, right? So this is kind of the process of that. So first and foremost, right, step number one is we want our students to remember the material. Then we want them to understand it. We want them to be able to apply it, analyze it, evaluate it, and then be able to create or to teach others also. This is how you know if you're mastering the material. This thing is awesome. It's amazing. But did you know that Bloom's taxonomy is really just a ripoff of what Moses has said right here? <laughs> Don't you love it when science and research and all that catches up with the Bible? Yeah, I mean, this is as, as good as it is. It's the same thing that Moses is talking about here. We're to remember God's word. We're to understand it, apply it. Be able to analyze and evaluate, evaluate it, create with it, teach others the truth of God's word. You know you're mastering the material when you can work through this process and teach others as well. So we need to be a people who have mastered God's word, be a master of his promises. If we're gonna thrive above the surface, our roots need to be deep down in his word to a place where it nourishes our souls so that the olive tree of our lives can grow and thrive and produce fruit for as many days as the Lord allows. So we need to saturate ourselves in God's word. The second thing that we need to do 
Second solution is that we need to take time for reflection. You know what that means? That means you gotta slow down, take a deep breath, and carve out some time in your life to reflect, to reflect. You know, I don't know about you, but I become so tunnel focused. My life becomes so tunnel focused on everything that's going on, my life, my circumstances, you know, trying to be the friend, trying to be a husband, trying to be a, a father, trying to be a pastor. I mean, I just get so tunnel focused on all these things that I am supposed to be doing that I forget that God is not a puppeteer and we are not puppets. Or last night, this is kind of unrelated, but it's kind of funny. Last night, we do movie night every, at least one night out of the weekend at our house. We have a movie night, and we all get to pick which movie we want for that various, various night. And, and last night, it was mine, and I saw that there's a new movie with Tom Hanks in it. It's a kid's movie, and, and it's Pinocchio. And if Tom Hanks is in it, it's got to be great, right? Well, I would save your money. Um, <laughs> I'm a, to be honest with you, I was a little bit disappointed. Like it was like a total, I, anyway, we're not gonna go into that. Y'all don't need to be in my counseling session. But nevertheless, you know, in the story, right, the, the main character uh, prays to the stars, so to speak, for this little boy, this puppet, this wooden puppet that he created to, to become a live little boy. And all of a sudden he does, right? The fairy godmother comes in, makes the boy sing and dance. And, and sure enough, he becomes a boy. And then little Jimmy Cricket gets to be his conscience. And it's kind of a fun deal, right? But here's the kind of funny thing about it. So uh, the little boy comes alive. And all of a sudden, it's great because well, we're going to be a family, and it's this sweet moment of this little boy and a dad, and wow, everything I've longed for, now I have. Well, then that next day, they spend all day together, and just so you know, Pinocchio is probably the age of a toddler, okay? So they spend all day together, and at the end of the day, he crawls in bed, and he is absolutely exhausted. You can feel my pain. He's exhausted, right? And then the next day, he does what any wise mom would do. He says, Pinocchio, today's the day that you're going to start school. And so he sends little Pinocchio to school because he's exhausted. He's frustrated. The one thing that he thought, oh, this is going to be great. And then he's exhausted by uh, the busyness of little Pinocchio and him running around the house and asking all these questions. And it's just like, when is it ever going to stop? So he sends Pinocchio off to school. But the point here is this. God never grows tired with you. He never grows frustrated with you. He never gets irritated with you. He never pushes you out the door and sends you to school. God is not a puppeteer. We are not puppets. But rather, he is a loving father who loves you, who cares for you, who is faithful to you. He's faithful to you. You know, we all have a story of God's work in our life, don't we? I think we can all agree that, that, that there's a story that you and I have. We all have our own stories. And over the last couple of weeks, I've done some time reflecting. If I'm gonna ask you to do it, then I need to do it, right? So I've been doing a lot of reflecting over the last couple of weeks. And here's what I've come to. Here's my story. This is what I've been reflecting on. God has brought me from death to life. Death to life. I was once a slave and now I'm free. I was a slave to my own anger, frustration, maybe arrogance, all kinds of things, and now I am free, free. I was an orphan with little direction. Now I'm a son, I'm a son of the king. 
He's been right next to me in every and all circumstances, even when I didn't realize it, nor did I recognize it. He's been with me every moment, every second, every detail of my day. I'm reminded that he's not indifferent to hard meetings, to hard days. He's right there with me. He covers me with his grace. He covers me with his grace. He's, he's the father to my kids that I hope to be. He's the husband to my wife that I long to, to be. And you know, I have high expectations of me when it comes to my family and comes to my bride and to my kiddos. And, and, and I oftentimes fail those expectations. And yet God's grace is there because he's who they need when I'm not. He's the pastor of this church. He's the good shepherd of John 10 that I hope to be and I hope to grow into. He's right with me every step of every day. He has been the friend who always understands when no one else does. I've heard it said that it's lonely at the top. It can be lonely at the top, but you know what? God's right with me, so I'm not alone. I'm not alone. He's the healer who heals when there is no other way. Maybe that's your story. He's the provider when the numbers don't add up. And believe me, there have been many days, many months in that budget where the numbers didn't add up. And somehow, some way, God provided. He's been the shoulder that I've had to cry on when no one else is there. Or maybe then when I was too scared to let anybody else in. There was a quiet intimacy where I could run to him and, and cry. I mean, I shared a little bit of my story about my brother. There was moments where I had to be strong so that he could persevere. But there were many nights where, as broken of a man as I am, where I had to get on my knees and just, just cry. But he was there. He was there. And there's something so sweet about sitting down and just reflecting on God's story in our lives. But not only is it sweet, it's also nourishing. It's nourishing. So let me ask you, what is your story? What is the story of God's faithfulness in your life? Because here's what I'll tell you. If you want to thrive above the surface, you need to saturate yourself in, in God's word. You become a master of his word, a master of of his promises. Preach them to yourself as David does, daily. But not only that, take time to reflect, to remember what he has done for you, what he is doing for you, and what he is doing in you. Be reminded that he never leaves you, he never forsakes you, he's never indifferent towards you, he's never irritated with you. When everybody else is irritated with you, he's not. You want to thrive. If you want your purpose to be nourished, grow in your love for his word. Reflect on him. Allow him to build you up. Allow him to be the foundation of your life. Allow him to guide you, to lead you, to help you thrive, to stand when you can't. I, I, I can promise you this. When you do that, here's what's going to happen. You're going to produce fruit you're gonna produce great fruit. And people are gonna want 
what you have. And then you can say, listen, let me tell you for the hope that I have and why I have the hope that I have. And you can invite them into the same process. It begins with a relationship with Jesus. It's sustained as we grow in our love for God and love for him together, right? As a family, committed to a mission and committed to a vision. And you can tell them, hey, you can continue to to grow in your love for God by joining a Sunday school class. That's your next step, by the way. That's step number three is, I mean, if you wanna begin growing in your love for God, then join a Sunday school class. Take that step of faith, meet some new friends, make a, a large church smaller, and then pick up your Bible each and every day. Open it up. Get a reading plan. There's a thousand reading plans out there. If you don't have one, email me. I'll send you a bunch of them. Get a reading plan. Don't be legalistic about it. Just get in the Word. Spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes a day. I can promise you, your day will be transformed as you grow in your love for God and His Word. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. God, we're thankful for the fact that you are never indifferent to us. You never grow tired of us. But Father, you are such a kind, loving Father who always, always is awaiting your son, your daughter to come home, to rest, to reflect, and to enjoy you. God, help us to abide in your word, to become a master, so to speak, of your word and of your promises so that, Father, when circumstances of life get tough, when the storms come, Father, we can stand as an olive tree. And maybe we don't have 1,800 years. Maybe we have 70 or 80 or 90 or 100. But God, for whatever time you give us, Father, we can stand strong and amidst the storm and amidst the circumstances of life And Father, we can produce good, godly fruit. Father, help us to reflect. To reflect on our stories of where we've come from, who we are, and where we've been. And how, God, you have brought us up out of the ashes. You've put a robe on us. You've you've clothed us in your righteousness. And you've promised to never leave us or forsake us. God, I pray that we would claim that truth today. God, I pray that our roots would dig deep into who you are so that, Father, we can thrive above the surface. And not an artificial kind of thriving above the surface, but, but Father, a true, genuine thriving above the, sur- the surface. When all others are struggling, God, help us to be a people to thrive, that we may be the hope of God on this earth, that we could point all people to the person and the work of Jesus. Father, it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street, We hope to see you soon.